Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influences Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influences.church. And now for our message. I want to start a brand new series uh, over the next few weeks and uh, it's called Building a Community of Miracles. Now, what's really interesting is I remember going to preach at the world's largest church about eight years ago in South Korea. And uh, this church, uh, at that stage, it was 830,000 people. And, of course, you lose track of how many people are really in the church. But that whole, whole country of Seoul uh, in South Korea is an incredible place. And the largest Methodist church, the largest Presbyterian church, the largest, largest charismatic church is in that city and in that nation. And it's an amazing thing because, of course, 42 kilometers away is the DMZ, as they say. And that's the demilitarized zone between North Korea and Crazy Kim and South Korea and uh, President Kim, I think his name is. So it's an amazing thing because in that country, Dr. Yonggi Cho, who's now passed on the church to, uh, his, to his successor, would say this. He'd say, in, when I travel the world, um, you know, I get, when I pray for people for healing or for miracles, there's probably a 30 or 40% uh, rate of healing. But in my own church, it's 90%. So everywhere else I go, it's about 30 or 40%. And in my own church, it's 90%. Now, when I read statistics like that, it fascinates me. It makes me wonder why there are miracles in that church, but not miracles in other churches. Why miracles in that city? You can give me more monitor this way, my way, uh, not this way, out that way, this way. Why is there miracles more happening in that city than other cities? And why are things happening amongst that group of people? Have you ever wondered when you hear about people who go on mission trips to Africa and they tell you about all these miracles, they tell you about people getting healed and then you wonder why you can't pray for somebody with a cold and see them healed and you have these, this kind of dichotomy or this incongruence about what you know is possible and yet what you see in your world. Anyone who had those thoughts is just me, right? I think it's a really wonderful uh, thing to ponder and to try to figure out why are there miracles happening in that place and why are there not miracles happening in this place? And of course, the Bible is clear about the fact that there, are a, there is a, a place to be or there is a way to be where miracles take place in a greater capacity. And there's also instances where miracles didn't take place. You know, Decapolis, which means 10 cities, was a place that Jesus went to to heal the man whose name was Legion. Remember that story? And he went over to the other side and took his disciples, and there was this guy that was naked and was out of his mind, and Jesus healed him, and they found him clothed and in his right mind. And then, you know, the story is that the people of that whole area were so blown away with what was taking place, but they were so consumed with commerce and money. Their whole focus was wealth. It was about the things they could touch. It was about business. It was about the stuff of money. How do we know that? Because 
when Jesus sent out those demons, he sent them to a herd of pigs, those 5,000 pigs or whatever it was, ran over the side of the hill and drowned in the sea. And the people came to him and begged Jesus, who had just done one of the most remarkable miracles ever in the history of the world, who'd healed this man called Legion. Could you imagine what you could do with Jesus coming to your city, to your synagogue, to your house, to your marketplace, to your neighborhood? If this is what he can do and everybody knew him, imagine what he could do to our city. Well, imagine what he could do in the other nine cities. And yet they begged him to leave. Why? Because Jesus interrupted their focus on money. He interrupted their focus on commerce. He interrupted their focus on breeding pigs when they weren't supposed to breed pigs. And so their focus, which was to break the rules that they knew in order to make money, that was more important to them than the miracle work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, doing miracles right out throughout their region. And so they asked him to leave. Wow. Can you believe that? Think about the fact that someone's mindset, preoccupation, or focus either allows Jesus to move or stops him moving. We often think it's because of uh, this other reason, or maybe God doesn't do miracles today. And in the, in the, in the wake of COVID-19, in the wake of all the, all the stuff happening around the world, all the uh, people defecting and leaving Christianity in their faith, and people, Gen Z or Gen, the millennial generation really kind of dropping out of church, Gen Z not even sure they're going to go to church. And then we've got the alpha generation coming up who've just been born. And, and, and there's this whole uh, conundrum, you know, because what we do is when things don't happen the way we want them to happen, we change what we believe to fit with our experience. And so there's a whole bunch of people right now, there's the, the rise of cessationist theology. Now, what's cessationist theology? Cessationist theology is simply this, that God did a miracle when the apostles were alive and Jesus was here to kick off this whole deal. But when Jesus died and the apostles died, all the miracles stopped. Now, that is a very, very strong theological thread that runs through a lot of churches, and that's why they don't believe in miracles. They don't believe that God heals today. Of course, you'd have to ask those same churches whether they actually believe God forgives today. Because if He doesn't do miracles, then how can people get saved, everybody? If all the miracles died out when Jesus went to heaven and the apostles died out, well then, how do people find eternal life? Maybe that's why those churches aren't seeing people find Christ and the miracles of the new birth don't happen much. It says that Jesus came to his own hometown, but because they didn't respect who Jesus was, when he got up in the synagogue and began to quote out of Isaiah 53, a, a, a prophecy about himself, it talked about the lamb who was led like sheep to a slaughter, and the people tried to put their hands on him because they wanted, said, who is this guy standing up here? Don't we know his parents? And don't we know his brothers and sisters? And who is this Jesus that he would dare stand up and speak with such authority about things? And it says, Jesus, the Son of God, could not do any miracles or many miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and they were healed. The Messiah, 
the Son of God could not do miracles. Even though he wanted to, even though he longed to, even though it was his purpose to come and set us free, according to Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, which is he's brought me to set the oppressed free. Even though that was his purpose, that's why he came, he could not do it to the people he loved the most in the city where he was known the most because they had a familiarity with Jesus Christ that prevented them from receiving from his hand. Did you know if we don't have a respect for Jesus, a, a, a radical understanding of who Jesus is, he's not your mate, He's not just your buddy. He's not all those things. He is the Son of God. Jesus is God incarnate. He is arrived in the flesh to tell us and show us the way back to God. If we don't respect Him properly, He cannot do miracles. There was a group of people who were so concerned with commerce and money making and their products and their production that Jesus could not do any miracles there except heal legion. There was another group of people who because of their unbelief in Jesus himself, you see, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're not going to see those miracles. It's a prerequisite to believe in Jesus himself to see miracles. They didn't believe in Jesus and they didn't see miracles. So there's places where Miracles can happen, and there's places where miracles can't happen. Why do miracles happen in other countries, but don't seem to happen as often in Western countries? And we don't have time tonight to, to really dive into it, so make sure you're there next Sunday morning and be here for the next few weeks. As I'm going to dive into it. I'm going to talk to you about the miracles and how we build a community of miracles. And I want you to understand there are three key words in that statement. Building means that you start with a conviction, you start from ground zero, and you say, I'm going to do something. Building is an action. It means we're not just going to hope it happens, we're going to build. What are we going to build? We're going to build the thing that is the center of God's purpose, which was community. Community is not part of the plan. Community is the plan. You see, the reason why the Trinity exists, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is that they are an eternal community. And therefore, unlike other uh, deities that people worship who exist in their singularity, that is, if you worship Allah, He's a singular being, as opposed to that, the Christian God, the God the Bible talks about, exists in eternal community. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's something about their community that is a secret to their supernatural side that we need to grab if we're ever going to build and live in that place of miracles. The third thing is that we've got to believe for miracles, but we build a community of miracles. That is, you know what? Your faith in a world that's swirling around about you, that's telling you not to believe, that's telling you not to believe. 
whether they're of Christian persuasion or whether of atheistic persuasion, they're telling you not to believe. And listen, it's like holding your little candle out in the middle of a hurricane and wondering why you can't keep your little light alive. Because the world is like a hurricane. I live obviously in the United States and I see it every day. Watch this polarization, this craziness that's going on across the world. The craziness that's happening inside of Western civilization. The craziness that's happening across the world. And it's no wonder when we try to believe for God to do a miracle by ourselves and the winds and the hurricanes of life blow that candle of faith out or it flickers on the edge that there must be a better way and there is. You see, when you bring your candle and I bring my candle and then, and then someone else brings their candle and we all come together with our flickering faith or with our raging faith depending on the week and the month that it might be and we put those candles together. Something that I used to do when I was a little kid, you'd get all the, all the candles and put them into a bunch once you got them into a bunch and you light those candles, it was harder to, bur to, to blow that candle out than if you had just one solitary candle. Pastor Josh now cannot blow out the candles on his birthday cake because there are so many. There are so many candles on his birthday cake. Don't let, don't let that physique of his fool you he's over the hill but here's the point trying to blow out all those candles it's hard work watch a you know watch a five-year-old blow out five candles not so hard watch a 40-something person like pastor josh blow them out is very difficult indeed and there's something about you and i that when we bring our candle of faith and we connect it with somebody else's candle of faith, that when the enemy tries to blow against us with unbelief or bring into our life disappointment, we may not be able to stand against the hurricane by ourselves. but it's why God created the church so that the vehicle of grace could, receive, could, be, could be received by us as non-Jewish people, that the church wasn't built as, a, as the natural evolution of sad men who were sad that their friend had gone to heaven, so they started having support group meetings because Jesus, their friend, had left, and then it somehow became magically the church, and suddenly it was an incorporated body. No, Jesus died, and on the day he was rose again, the church was born, and the idea was this. Listen. You are the embodiment of me, says Jesus. The people of the world will not know that their miracles are true if the people who say they're followers of Jesus don't together embody the presence of Jesus. Have you noticed that when you watch those missing person shows on TV, they shouldn't be called missing person shows, they should be called missing bodies shows. Because when you read missing persons, you assume you're going to find somebody alive. But most times, 99.9%, .9%, you find that person dead. But we still call it missing persons. Why is that? Because we associate the person with the body. Here's the deal. When we become the body of Christ, 
we become the impersonate, we impersonate, what's the word? Not impersonate, that's the wrong word. We become the personal view, personal jet lag. It's being in jail all that time has just got to my mind. What was I saying? Right, we embody, that's right. It's a long day, I should be in bed. That fire alarm last night destroyed me. Anyway, so what happens is this, is that we embody Jesus. So in other words, we embody the personhood of Jesus. We are not an organization. When people see us together, they actually get a glimpse of Jesus. So if we don't come together and create community, the world will never know Jesus because Jesus is not coming back now, very, as in he's not here, and they can't touch him like they did back then. So what is the way they touch or know Jesus? Through his body. The embodiment of Jesus is you and I. If we're going to see miracles take place, we have to come together. We have to build community. We have to work on understanding that it's not about me and my needs being met. It's about bringing my little power, my little one candle power, and joining it with hundreds and thousands of others because as we do, this raging fire starts to build, and as it builds, so does faith build, and suddenly, when Jesus comes to do miracles, it sweeps through the entire community. Why? Because wherever there's faith, Jesus does miracles. Wherever there's a belief in Jesus, there are miracles. So Jesus could not do many miracles in Nazareth or Decapolis, because of different reasons, but what it says to us is that it's possible that it can't happen and it's possible that it can happen. It explains why some places get it, some places don't. Why do I say that? Why do I propose that to you? Well, if we want it, we've got to build it. We've got to build a community of faith in order for miracles to become the commonplace. For Dr. Yonggi Cho to say that 90%, I don't think this is working, 90% of the people in his church who get, who get asked for prayer get healed, he's declaring that that community has got something that other communities don't have. He's the same preacher with the same message but with different results depending on the community. So in the rising world of, you know, the, the religion of atheism and secularism, there needs to be a group of people that rise up with faith and decide to believe together. And if we would understand that it's not, I, I can't do it myself. Now, God does anoint certain people with gifts of healing. But, and that's true, it's one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. But if we want to see it happen all the time, the regularity is dependent on the community, and that's dependent on how serious we are about building it. You see, God's supreme achievement wasn't the creation of man, but was the creation of community. What did God say 
after he saw Adam form from the dust of the earth in, the, in his image, what did he say? He said, it is not good for man to be alone. And he made him a partner so they could be in community. Because without community, there can be no miracles, no reproduction, nothing can take place without the building of community because God himself is community. How big was the first community? Three people. In fact, it was five people. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Adam and Eve, right, became part of the first community or maybe the second community. And what I want us to understand this year is that community is not a human invention. It's not the solution by people who are desperate to survive. It's not something warm and fuzzy that makes it enjoyable to be human. Community was not our idea. It was God's. And that's why in the, in, during COVID and during coronavirus, there's been such an uptick in depression and anxiety. Why? Because when you make people live in isolation, you rob them of the very power God gave them to need in order to survive. And if you put someone in isolation, you can break them. If you put them with someone else, they can survive almost anything because community is just that powerful. Now, what kind of community does God want to create? Well, number I'll just give you two things. Number one, He wants to build a community of koinonia. Now, Greek word koinonia is the word translated in English fellowship. We find it in Acts chapter 2. The first time it's found is after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly... They have more than just, hi, how are you, but they have koinonia. The best way to describe koinonia to me is imagine a group of cancer survivors in a room. When you're doing cancer survivors together, they're not talking about the weather and they're not talking, looking at each other about who's old, who's fat, who's skinny, who's black, who's white, who's Asian, who's whatever. There's nothing of those superficial humanity things that matter to a person that has something far more profound and life-changing than cancer. So when those people of all shapes, sizes, and ages come into a room together, there is an affinity that goes beyond the superficial tag of their pop culture. Why? Because they've shared a journey that only those who've been through the journey know what it's like. Right? I only know what it's like if you've been through it. And that's why there's an acceptance that's so profound. Well, guess what? We have this, if, that's why we've got to have Jesus as the center. Because when Jesus is the profound effector of our lives, and I find someone else who is also profoundly affected by Jesus, instantly we move past superficiality and we move to the depth of koinonia, and we start to build community, and then the community starts to build stronger and stronger until there's enough faith for when God wants to move in a place, it doesn't get blown out by the winds of life, but it just keeps on raging like a fire that changes the world. You see, the second thing that he wants to build is an understanding of how miracles work. Acts 2.1 says this, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place, in one accord. Even God had to wait till 120 individuals 
were gelled and welded together by community before there could be a suddenly. The Holy Spirit was not poured out by Jesus until Acts 2 1 says they were together in one place, but even more powerfully in one accord. How many know that you can be in one place but not be in one accord? You can be sitting next to someone you hate, you can be in one place. Well, that's probably too strong, right? For a Sunday night. Someone do you dislike? You could be sitting, people are doing it all the time in their homes. They wonder why their homes don't see miracles. Because there's no oneness in the home. They're sitting at the same table. But the bitterness of their disagreements prevents their family from seeing miracles. And God himself, who had a plan for the New Testament that wouldn't die out when the apostles died, could not send the Holy Spirit until 120 people were in one place but in one accord. In that 10 days, we don't know how many people started, by the way. We don't know how many people were there at the beginning. Maybe there was 500. We know that Jesus appeared to 500 of his disciples during the 40 days before his ascension. So we don't know 500 were there at the beginning, but what we know is 120 were there at the end. It doesn't matter how big the group is there at the end or the beginning of the beginning. It just matters that we are in one place in one accord. And if we start with 500 but get to 120 and suddenly the magic takes place, the profound glue of koinonia draws us together in an unbreakable bond, then God says, well, now I can send the Holy Spirit and it won't be a waste of my time. I can send the Holy Spirit and he'll be treated with respect. I can send the Holy Spirit and he will be able to do what he wants to do. He won't be bumping up against attitudes and issues and envy and strife and disagreements and, and, and unforgiveness. He can flow like water. You see the Holy Spirit's, like, here's a great image for you. Well, he's like water and water will flow wherever there's no resistance. And what does a river do? It ro goes around the rocks it doesn't go through the rocks. And that's why we'll see miracles happening around about us, but never experience it in us if we are a rock of resistance to koinonia, glue, and one accord. Can I just suggest that we have a pretty easy task ahead of us if we want to see miracles? It's not for you to pray for 175 days or to go without food, though some of us, like myself, could do with doing that. It would be to build 
a greater priority in our mind around community than we currently do. Put up your hand if you want to see miracles happen more and more. Come on. Okay. It's a pretty willing crowd. Let me put a challenge to you. Then I want to show you a video. We are all willing for God to move. But if God has a set of instructions that says, the world will know you're my disciples when you are one, John 13, 35. John 17, Father, make them one just as I am in you and you are in me. May you be in them and them in one another. And Jesus' prayer for his disciples is not that they'd be spectacular, powerful apostles. His prayer for his disciples is, uh, could they be community? Because I know God, we're community. We only operate through the pureness of community. We only operate at our full 10 out of 10 volume when there is community. We can do a few things, but not many things because the current that allows the transference of our power is a thing called unity and community. So imagine if then our goal is just to love one another, just to connect, to come to church not as individuals, but to come to church desperate to see and connect with people, that we could build a glue that would be so strong that no uh, demon in hell could shake it, no controversy could wreck it, no issue could you know, divide it, so that at the right time when God is ready to go, boom, or was it, oh, they're ready, now we can go, boom. Maybe God wasn't, uh, maybe God didn't have a timeline except when they would get into one place in one accord and maybe there was 123 left on, on day nine and three had to leave that group in order for the 120 that were left to be solid and in one accord and then suddenly God's right, it's there, it's there, it's, it's ready to go. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Boom, suddenly it all takes place and miracles like an avalanche just are unstoppable because of that unity. So I want to encourage us. This is an encouraging message because I'm not talking to a disunited church. I'm not talking to a bunch of people that don't like each other. I'm just saying let's ramp up our commitment to unity to another level. Because we want to see God do great things. Because here's what the world wants. The world is sick and tired of, our, uh, of any church's self-help programs and rhetoric and cliches. It's saying, if your God is real, show us. If he's not real, tick off. If your God is real, let's see it. If he's real, we'll follow him. If you can't prove to me he's real, then I'm not interested. Because I'm not looking for religion and tradition. I'm looking for the hole in my heart to be filled. That can, I've tried to fill with so many things. And when you talk about God, I'm magnetically drawn to what you say, even though I try to resist it. And if you can show me just one bit of evidence that he's real, then I'll take him into my life and receive him. 
I want to show you a video. It's a pretty cool video. And it's a video of a miracle happening before your ears. I was going to say before your eyes, but it's before your ears. This miracle, this man called Dwayne Miller, who had got a virus. He was a pastor, and he got a virus into his vocal cords. And within about six months or so, he could barely scream a whisper. He said that in order to even be heard audibly to any level where someone else could hear him, he had to scream at the top of his lungs. Now that's a very bad condition for a pastor to get. When your whole life is built around what you say out of your words, which is why I always ask the sound guys to turn me up because I want to keep this as long as possible. When you are in that world and you lose your toolbox, it's over. The people might be nice, but if their pastor can't preach, it's like, yeah, we love you, mate. It's time to go get another job. So he said he had to resign. After about two years of trying, he saw 200 doctors, specialists. They said, you'll never get your voice back. And the damage done to your nerve endings is so profound, we can't fix it. There is nothing that we can do. So he was now unemployed. His wife was now the, the major breadwinner of the home. They moved cities and they moved back to Houston, Texas. And in that town, he went back to the church, I think, that he had originally came from. Now, this guy is a Baptist. They are Southern Baptists, a people, many of them believe that in cessation of theology, that is, miracles stopped when the apostles died. Now, I don't know if he was one of those, but you can tell as you're listening to him speak, in this video clip or in this audio clip and make a judgment for yourself. But he'd gone back to this town, attended this church that he'd come out of many, many years before and there was a Sunday school class, it's a large church, it was a Sunday school class that was held in what they call the catacombs that was kind of obviously under the building somewhere in some place and he had taught that class before. And so out of just kindness after three years of not being able to speak, frustrated. Can you imagine how much you would have thought, God, where are you? I thought you called me to the ministry. I thought you called me to be a preacher. And the very means by which to share the gospel has been taken from my life. And day after day, you sit there wondering, where's the God of miracles? His wife had to be the major breadwinner for their home. He said he became a private investigator. Someone gave him a job as a private investigator because that didn't require using his voice. And that's how he kind of got by. And he came back to the town and the person in charge of this particular class, and the reason he, he, he talks about this class is because it was the original class. And because uh, it was a large class and people came and went, it was the only class that was recorded. And back in those days, this is about 20 so years ago, remember tape recorders? Right? 
That's how they used to record on cassettes the message. And then they would give it to the members that weren't present. So on this particular day, Dwayne Miller, who's been begged to come and speak, and basically they hooked up this sound system so that he could whisper, and even the whisper would be amplified enough for people if they were listening in and leaning in to be able to listen to his voice. He didn't want to do it. He knew they were doing it just out of pity. They weren't getting him because he was the greatest speaker. They were just getting him because they felt sorry for him. And I want you to have a listen to him as he teaches the class. And on this particular Sunday, the text that he's teaching, going through the Psalms, is Psalm 103. And I want you to have a listen to him, and I want you to listen to his voice as he begins to speak. And then I want you, in the background, to listen to the people that are in the class listening to what takes place. Let's have a listen. Because you can hear it yourself as you're listening. That he's shocked by the miracle that's happening to him. And I sense in this room as that was being played, just a reaching out from one or two people saying, God, let that happen to me. You could hear it in his tone and you could hear it in the response of the people. He starts off as somebody quoting the psalm with excuses about why God doesn't seem to heal today. He's become cynical and hardened by the pain. But it's God's loving kindness is poured out on him. You can feel the power, the melting, the softness. He's spent his life since that moment telling people that Jesus heals today. I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So he sent his son Jesus to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, he said, I will take their place. So he died and rose again so that his death could pay the penalty for my mistakes and my past. And his life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did and when you invite him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father. He's a friend. And you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. 
I'm going to say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what? Maybe He's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace and the word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey. Why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you. And we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.